Welcome back to the Two Average Gyms podcast, the unofficial podcast for the University of Georgia football. We're coming to you from home base here at the Stripe Show podcast studios, TF1, home of one Travis Fulton, who was our special guest last week. A big thanks and a shout out to him for letting us be here. We are in the midway to sort of three quarters of the way uh, moment through the college bowl season. There's a lot going on. It is, in fact, college football playoff week. It's Peach Bowl week. This is a Peach Bowl Palooza show. It's also going to be the Michael Jordan flu game of sorts (laughs) for one James Russell and James P over here. We have definitely been hit with something hard over the holidays, and uh, this is the flu game. While I certainly recognize that people that serve our country and have way tougher jobs than us and feel worse than we do right now. We're going to go ahead and chalk this up as our flu game. Uh, yep. Apologies for the way we sound and for maybe some coughing or interruptions, but uh, super excited to be here, super excited for this week. We are en route to Atlanta shortly after a pit stop at the Gator Bowl here for the Notre Dame-South Carolina game, and then we're headed to the Benz on Saturday morning early for the Georgia Bulldog game against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Jimbo and I are fired up. We've got fans in tow. We've got family in tow. Crazy Uncle Mike is coming down for the game. He usually attends all bowl games with us. His streak is very strong. Yeah. He will be there with us, and so will Trip. Trip from Legacy Group, who's also been a, a huge supporter of the show. He'll be with us and some other friends. The First Lady of Love will be there, Jules, and uh, Jimbo's uh, Molly will be there as well. And a few other folks, we're super excited to see the Dills and everybody else uh, that we're going to run into up in the ATL. Looking for some improvement, Jimbo, on my record in the Benz. Um, before we get into things here, we just want to touch on, we got a great special guest today, the voice of the dogs from Sanford Stadium, the man that brings us the tone and the feeling and the vibe and the emotion and the calls. Mr. Brooke Whitmire is joining us today as our special guest as we head into the Peach Bowl on our Peach Bowl Palooza Spectacular show. Uh, we want to give a shout-out to the boys over at Real Talk with Rylan and Tate. They hit 1,000 subscribers this week. Hats off to you guys. Yes. Uh, we were on their show earlier in the year, which probably had a lot to do with you guys getting to that 1,000 <laughs> number. I'm not sure. Maybe you picked up three or four folks there. But uh, a shout-out to you guys, and uh, I know you guys are in practice and you're getting ready to rock, but there's no question with your talent and the perspective you're bringing in your show, there's no, there was no question to us it was going to be a big success. And I would imagine when you guys get out of the NFL one day, you'll be in the broadcast booth. This is some good experience for you leading up to that. Uh, this is our flu game. Maybe Ryland and Tate, you could chime in to us about your flu game, whether it was at Georgia when you were younger or even when you were doing your show or both, if, you, if it's happened at both times. Um, we'll get into our NFL Dog Roundtable, sponsored by Roundtable Realty. We will also do our picks. And uh, this is it, Jimbo. College football playoff week is here. How are you feeling? Feeling great. A lot better than I was a couple days ago, but very excited. Um, you know, you kind of, the whole season builds up to this week when you get to the playoff, the final four. And um, I think I was thinking about it, looking back on it a couple years from now, you know, Georgia fans and, you know, really any school that made a four team playoff when it expands is going to be like, they're going to have some bragging rights. Like, hey, we made it in when it was way harder sure. to make it in. 
And so I love that we're in it for the third time. We have uh, this is the second to last four team playoff that we'll see for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, I'm hoping that we get the job done this year and next year and the year after and every year, but it doesn't work out that way. So uh, super excited that Georgia has this opportunity again in front of them, especially in Atlanta. I know we've played there a couple times this year. So I think um, it's great to have some familiarity of the Benz. We've won a, two big games this year in that building. We've won a lot of games in that building as a program. Um, we've also lost some games in that building, but very excited. The last time we played in the Peach Bowl, it was an incredible game. Shout out to former guest Jackpot Lesney, who yes. made a game-winning field goal against Cincinnati, who the following year ended up making the playoff with us. We didn't play them, but they were in, so kind of crazy to see that <laughs> parallel. But um, super excited for this game. I think um, we do have a lot to talk about regarding this Ohio State game. I did some film study. I watched a lot of their games, uh, the condensed version. So before we get into that, just want to say thank you to everyone for listening. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the Two Average Gyms show, uh, the unofficial Georgia football podcast. We are on social media at Two Average Gyms, T-W-O, Average Gyms. You can find us on basically any social media platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Wherever you want to find us, you can find us. And uh, we try to post some show clips, some giveaways, some you know funny content for you guys. And um, just if you want to kind of give us a look and see what we've been about, see some of our past episodes and our past guests. We normally have a clip of every guest on our page. So um, just give it, a, give it a look. We feel like we uh, put some pretty good stuff out there and... We're trying to get better at it. That's something that we're definitely going to focus on in the future, but we're definitely a lot better at it than we used to be. So super excited to get into this episode. Uh, last thing before we get into all things Peach Bowl and Ohio State, um, just want to touch on, because it's been a while since we recorded, we're actually recording this Thursday morning before the Peach Bowl. We normally do it earlier in the week to uh, just have more time editing and posting it for our producer, but he's done a great job of squeezing us in this Thursday morning. I had the flu, and um, still I'm kind of feeling it, but earlier in the week, just we could not do it. Also, with the holidays, pretty busy, so shout out to Jimmy Evans, as always, for putting up with us, doing a great job of of getting here with us and, um, and uh, you know, helping the uh, patients in the infirmary being the two average gyms. Yeah, so. yeah, really. Jimmy Evans is back, episode 22. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's flexing his schedule for us. He understands the importance uh, that all of the viewers and listeners, to all of you out there, how important it is for you guys to see this in time before yeah. the big weekend. Yeah. Jimbo, we got a phone call just now from inside the football facility. Oh, sweet. Um, and I think somebody's trying to get through here, Mr. Sean Chappas, and oh, I can't cool. get connected to the to the darn soundboard here. Um, maybe you can connect your phone. That was an unplanned call. So, well, um, okay. <clears throat> we'll see what happens there. We'll just yeah. move along through our preview here and see if he's calling with some news or what the heck he's doing 
He just says, I don't want to bring down the quality of the show. Call me after. No rush. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go, folks. I'm not sure what's on his mind, but that's a man, former college football standout at the University former of Georgia. Guest. Former guest on the show, captain of the dogs, NFL player for the Lions and the Cowboys and what, the Patriots? Um, I don't know. I forget his third team. Maybe the Vikings? I think it was the Patriots. All right. Anyway, I don't know what's on his mind, but that would have been funny if we we tried to hook the phone up. I finally got a new phone, and it wouldn't hook up. The old phone would hook up, but the new one doesn't. So we would have had that coming in hot right there in the the beginning. But anyway, Mm -hmm. shout out to Sean, uh, great friend of the show and former guest, as Jimbo mentioned. Uh, so we have an action-packed uh, preview here. We're going to really focus mostly around the big game. Um, we do have the bowl pool out there, and I think there's some people that have gotten into that, which is kind of fun, and that's moving along. And it looks like yours truly was in the lead um, last time I looked, but that was before I came down with the um, whatever it is we have. And it is not the Irish flu, which, which we would label for sure. It is the actual stuff. <laughs> Um, so anyway, Jimbo's been watching a lot of film. I've watched a little bit of film and been doing some reading and getting prepped up, uh, during this college bowl season to, to really understand the Buckeyes, what they're all about, uh, what Ryan day, I I feel a little stronger about Ryan day than Jimbo does as a coach. Um, so I have some concerns about him. Uh, but I gotta say, Jimbo, I really like our approach leading up to bowl games with Kirby in charge. We're nice and quiet, right? We're under the radar. We're, we're doing his program, right? Keep mm-hmm. chopping, going to work every day. And uh, I really like the feel, right? I like kind of how everything feels right now. We were up in the facilities uh, not quite two weeks ago, and it was business, right? I mean, it was real business. Yeah. Uh, there's nobody up there celebrating. There's nobody up there overly thrilled or happy everybody's focused and everybody's working i like that yeah no i do too and and um kirby's got a really good grip on how to handle these things um two things real quick that i was touching on just real quick we did add rara thomas and dominic lovett from the transfer portal i don't want that to go unsaid because that's huge big Um, deals they cannot practice for the bowl game with the team. However, the early enrollees, because of a new NCAA rule, can travel to the bowl site and practice with the team. So we have five or six early enrollees there practicing with the scout team, which I think will help. Um, And then our recruiting class overall finished second. There's probably only one or two guys out there for February signing day that we can realistically get because of we're, we're pretty full right now. So February probably won't be too big of a news cycle for recruiting, but we finished with a great recruiting class. Obviously, top two in the country is incredible, and um, I think we addressed some serious immediate needs, but wanted to mention that just because that's, hu- that's huge news oh, for the big. team. Um, weapons. So, <clears throat> and, and proven weapons, yeah. right? I mean, a, a four-star, five-star receiver is always great, mm-hmm. but they still got to get <laughs> – to the SEC, right? Yeah. And they got to play and under, you know, I mean, it just, that's a, I'm not saying it's not going to work. I'm just saying you have proven guys here. For sure. Right. That's a big deal. Yeah. And no, it's awesome. <clears throat> um, and so, anyways, back to Ohio State and the Peach Bowl. I think 
Kirby Smart does do a great job of the whole staff does of game planning for these. And then I also think, you know, Ohio State's been in the playoff, I believe. It's their third time. It's their fifth time. Fifth time. Yeah. But I can't remember how many times with Ryan Day. Um, I know that Ryan Day took him to a national championship, I think his first or second year with the Buckeye. I think it was his first year. Um, I don't know how many times they've been Ryan Day, but it to me, I think that our staff has been together for a pretty – there's a, a lot of key pieces that are still on the staff with Coach Smart. Maybe not as many position coaches as you would think, but a lot of our support staff and a couple of key guys on field have been through a playoff with Kirby before. I've been through bowl season with them before. And I think that's a big deal because the first time that we made the playoff when I was a freshman, it's definitely a kind of, I don't know how to say it, but just you see all the bright lights. And then you could tell by the second time we went when we were in Indy and when um, Miami and the Orange Bowl, it was definitely more like a business trip. And so I think having gone a couple times, we know what to expect. We know how it is. You're the marquee game. We're the primetime game. And um, I really think, like I said in past episodes, this the 30 days between the SC Championship and the first bowl game, whichever team handles that correctly – will win the game. I think we've handled it the best just from pri- from prior knowledge and how I went through it with the team. Um, I, I think we handle it better than any other team in the country. We do it very similarly to Alabama. So I think we have an edge on the coaching side for sure, but also the prep side. And I will say, I, I think to start off, how are, how are you feeling about the game, Big Jim? <clears throat> I've been um, I've been back and forth on this. Uh, I, I have felt uh, it's going to be tight, and I don't know how we're going to do. And I've also felt we're going to win. You know, not stress free, but we're going to you know win by a decent margin. So I've gone back and forth on that. <clears throat> I think I, I feel I don't know. I'm. It's kind of weird because. This whole week, it's kind of snuck up on me because I was in bed for like three or four days sick, so I didn't have time to really worry or think about the game. And I'm getting more nervous as we get closer because I really think they are probably the second most talented team in the country behind us. They have three first-round wide receivers, a first-round quarterback, and... The only thing that really makes me worry is I feel like we don't have a lot of weaknesses on our team, but where we may have small flaws, they're really, really good in those areas. Like we may have, we may be a little weak in the secondary. They're really, really good in their passing game, their explosive plays, their speed, their receivers, <clears throat> and they're, they're honestly, they have a, a much better run defense than people think. And we love to run the ball to get things going. So they're also really good against the tight ends, which yeah, they are. You know, they're going to need to be with us. But um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I mean, I, I feel like if our defensive backs can play well, and we get after Stroud, like he's not going to burn us. Like he, he's, I don't see him burning us with his feet. Oh no, no, he's not <coughs> a he's not a very good runner. 
And I think those two things, like good defensive back play and then just wreck Stroud, that's, you know, because I think offensively we're going to be okay. I Yeah, I think we are too. They're, after watching a couple of their games and seeing what they struggled with, because really I – I think everybody knows what they do well. You see you see enough Ohio State highlights throughout the year to see they're great throwing the ball deep. They're they're actually a lot better in the run game than I thought they were. <coughs> but um definitely getting after Stroud is huge. He's not a great runner, can't move that much. He can well enough to extend a play, but I after watching a couple of games I don't think he's as much of a willing runner as you would want your quarterback to be. I think he's definitely he's definitely a pass first guy, a pocket passer, a pro style guy. Um and plenty of quarterbacks are that way. I just don't think he's you know, I don't think he has as willing to run as maybe a JJ McCarthy at Michigan. And they util Michigan this is one thing that I'll touch on later, but uh, Michigan utilized J.J. McCarthy running the ball in the red zone, and it was great. So I think you could see us do that with Stetson. But, I mean, for some of their players, uh, just their guys to watch, to me, obviously you got Stroud. And then you got their trio of receivers, Emeka Egbuka, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Julian Fleming. All of those receivers will be first-round picks at some point. That's and that's crazy. That's well. They also lost their best guy. Yeah, and and uh, <clears throat> Jackson Smith and Jigba they lost, who is the best receiver out of all of them. Now you get now we've also been without Ad Mitchell basically the whole season. Yeah. So he's going to be full ready to rock, right? Yeah. Yeah. He should be. Um. So you and then um. So those guys on offense are really what keep them going. Mayan Williams, their running back. Their leading rusher this year, 13 touchdowns. Um, their probably best running back, Travion Henderson, is also out with an injury. Mm-hmm. But he was hurt a lot this year. Mayan Williams stepped up huge. Um, great running back. And they run stretch and outside zone and inside zone really, really, really well. They ran the ball a lot more effectively than I thought in the games that I watched. Everyone thinks they just throw the ball all over the place, but they do run the ball a lot. And I, that's, I mean, if you want to be a great team, you have to do both things. Mm-hmm. Not many great teams can just do one thing really, really well. So, well, their speed at the receiver position makes it tough for us because they, like, we can't, we can't, we got to pull an extra guy back because of that speed, right? If you don't have that speed, we keep one extra guy up front and then dominate that run game. Now, we may choose to go that route anyway and leave it up to the DBs to just shut these guys down and at least hang with them, right? Yeah. And that'll give us a chance to get after Stroud a little bit more where, they're, you know, the, the threat of them taking off the top is a real threat, so we got to be careful. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll <clears throat> be, you know, I, I think I think we'll let our defensive backs and corners specifically play with their receivers just like we did against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think because I I think pressure is more important when you have guys like that with that speed because you can't cover those guys for that long. Right. You know, so I don't think putting a guy back there would be 
necessarily the right way to go about it because if you don't get pressure, you were dead. You're done either way. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think in certain situations for sure. Um, and if we can get pressure with less, then by all, that's what you got to do. Yeah. For sure. But, and, and we're looking just from an injury standpoint. We're thinking Lad's going to be okay. We're thinking AD's sure. going to be out there. We're thinking Jalen's fine. Yeah. Um, what about Warren McClendon? I think he <clears throat> should be fine. I mean, I don't think I don't think we have any significant injury where he's going in this game at all. Okay. Um, with the time we had to heal and just it's to play off, like everybody's going to give it a go. And if they don't play, they definitely gave it their best shot to get in the game. And we're so deep at every single position. Like if McClendon gives it a go and can't, we got Mims right behind right. him, who's a specimen. So I don't think we have very many injury worries on our front. What worries me about Ohio State, like we just talked about, their vertical passing threat, speed, all their wideouts. The one thing that I'm worried about is their receivers are really, really good against press man, which is what we run on defense. Right. They get really good releases. C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. are very good. And we've seen teams do this a lot on us. When we're pressed, they run, you know, a go ball or a back shoulder. That's like a 20 to 25-yard gain, 30 to 35-yard gain. I'd expect to see some of those given up just because they're really good at it. That's one of their bread-and-butter plays almost when it's third and long or – even second and short when they can take a shot Um, because it's a high – I mean, for them, it's a high percentage play. You get the ball out quick, neutralize the pressure, and you've got a stud wide receiver. When you have a receiver like that, it's like when we had George. If you throw it to him in his radius and the DB's not looking – Forget it. I mean, he's just – he's showing that in the NFL. Yeah, there's a better – there's a better chance for the receiver to, I mean, it's not a 50-50 ball. Yeah. It turns out to be like a 75-25 ball. So <clears throat> if we can limit those, we're going to get beat by some of them. That's just, that happens when you play a really good team. If we can limit those, I think we'll be in a very good position. Another thing um, that I'm worried about is this team, everybody has labeled them soft since the Michigan game. Mm-hmm. And they're really not like in the trend in the trenches. They're not that soft. That Michigan game was a one score game with seven minutes left. That was not a blowout game. That was not a Michigan came in and steamrolled Ohio state at home. Because if you looked at the final score, that's (laughs) what probably everybody thought, but that's, I mean, that's not really what I thought. Um, When you have a one possession game with seven minutes left, that's a pretty close game. Yeah. And Ohio State had the lead at half. <coughs> um, they did pull away late. And I just, I think everybody calling Ohio State soft for 30 days is, does not help us. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, the other thing that Ohio <coughs> State has been told for the last 30 days is how physical we are as a team. And all they're hearing is we're just going to go out physical them and kill them. So I don't want our team to think we've arrived. We're Georgia. You know, we practice harder than anybody. That's why we can just (laughs) roll out of bed and beat these guys, which I know we're not, but 
you never want those things to affect your team. Um, like Big Jim touched on before, like you said, second in the country in defensive success rate. <laughs> sorry, guys. You can see what we're dealing with here. And sorry about our uh, phones. We don't have all of our notes today. We had to go with phones. Uh, so we're looking down at our phones more than we'd like to be doing, but we don't have all of our notes. I've got a very small little note situation here, but all of our stuff's usually typed out and ready to go, but we had to load it into the uh, into the telephones today, given the um, circumstances we're dealing with. Yeah. Uh, when <coughs> when you talk about they're, they are very successful against the tight ends and running backs. <coughs> Hopefully this water helps. Um, they are very successful defending the tight ends and running backs. <laughs> uh, let me jump in here. Uh, and that, as far as running backs goes, that's running backs out of the bas- backfield in the past. Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> we know, you know, Kirby and the staff, they've got their plan, right? They know the Ohio State squad. They know what's going on there. They know their strengths. They know their weaknesses. They know what we've got to try to do to win the ball game. We're in pretty good shape as far as injuries go. Um, uh, You know, we're playing at the Benz, which is a a short road trip for us, a business trip for sure. Uh, But it is a road game, even though many people who are not in the southeast would say it's more of a Georgia home game uh, being, you know, 70 miles from Athens. But, um, you know, we were the one seed, so we got to pick with the Peach Bowl. And that is what it is. And what we really we, – we, the crowd will be a factor. You know, the games we've been sure. to there, um, I think Ohio State's going to travel pretty well. And um, it'll be interesting to see the mix. You know, we've been there when it's been like 70-30 dogs. Um, and we've been there when it's been, you know, certainly less than that, closer to 50-50. So it'll be uh, really interesting to see how we turn up from the fan side as well as how do we perform as fans when we're in there, you know, being loud and trying to wreck the game up a little bit. Yeah. And um, I, it's a great point, and I totally agree. Back to – Real quick, before we get back to that, um, it's probably a good segue for the man who's in charge of the emotion and the vibe of the dogs and dog nation inside Sanford Stadium to introduce Brooke Whitmire, and we can put his uh, special guest interview in right here. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Right, as long as we're talking about the fans and everything. You're talking about a man that has truly impacted the Georgia Bulldogs football program for over 30 years. His father was there as a special recruiter back in the day. Uh, He is an alum. He has his son and daughter there now. And he is the voice of the Georgia Bulldogs, an iconic voice in that. Uh, He's got some great calls inside that stadium, and everybody knows him uh, when they hear that voice on Saturday afternoons or evenings when we're playing. And uh, what a gracious fella. Um, did a great thing for Jimbo uh, for graduation last year. And uh, just a, it's got kind of salt of the earth and it's got great stories. We can't wait to have him in here. Uh, we're going to bring that in from the Decision Cave and we'll drop it right in right here. Welcome back, everybody, to the Decision Cave, the Two Hours Gyms. As we promised you and told you about at the beginning of the show today, we have a special guest, very special guest, coming to us from Athens. And will be at the Peach Bowl this weekend. He is none other than the voice of the Bulldogs, the stadium announcer, Mr. Brooke Whitmire. He's been with the Dogs doing this for over 30 years. He has an iconic voice, excuse me, iconic Mm -hmm. voice, and has got a ton of memories, has seen everything. Uh, What a gracious fella who who has done uh, so much for so so many people in our community, including us, 
and coming on our show today. We're excited to talk to him. Uh, Brooke, we hope you had a Merry Christmas and welcome to the Two Average Gym Show. Thank you, Jim and Jim. I sure did. I hope you guys did as well. And I'm, I'm pleased to be able to join you today. Thanks so much again, Brooke. Really, uh, I want to thank you and tell the listeners what you did for me at my graduation. Uh, Brooke did such a cool video for me and kind of my dad kind of coordinated it, but kind of went through the list of like Georgia football accomplishments. And I'm lucky to have been a manager for those and have been able to ride those kind of tailcoats for Georgia football. But it was so cool getting to watch that video, my graduation dinner on a big screen you were so gracious about it. So I really just wanted to say thank you again. It meant the world to me. It was the biggest surprise ever. And um, it's just great to be talking to you kind of real time now. So thank you. Thank you for joining the show. And thank you for really making my graduation super memorable. Well, you're very welcome, Jim. Thank you. Of course. Of course. Well, let's get started. Let's yeah. So one thing here. that I wanted to start off with, and when we we've had the opportunity to have some current players on the show before. And one thing that I like to always ask them was, you know, how'd you, you know, why Georgia? Like you got recruited by 40 different schools. What brought you to Georgia? How was that process? So I wanted to ask you kind of a similar question. How did you get started to become the voice of the dogs? How did your journey start on that path? The short answer to that, guys, is that I was like you were a manager, Jim. I was a trainer on Coach Dooley's okay. last three games, eighty-six through eighty-eight. And then I had the opportunity to take a job in our sports information office with Claude Felton, who's still there, legend mm -hmm. in his own right for sure. Yeah. And in that job, worked a lot with the media, and every now and again they would need someone to fill in with stadium announcing. We had a JV team at the time, which people forget, but that was they played three or four games a year, and so. Filled in on those games some and G-Day a couple of times. And about a year after I graduated, the guy, great guy, who had done it for a number of years, Larry England, who was a radio guy in Athens, moved away. And Clyde called me one day and asked if I'd like to give it a shot for that year. And it was actually the second game of the 92 season when I started and see how it goes. And so, thankfully, uh, it started that year and have been been blessed to to go go on from that time that's the short answer guys the long answer and it's one that I know y'all can relate to as a father and son but my love affair with Georgia started because of my dad uh, Dan Woodmeyer who died about six years ago this March but my dad was born during the Great Depression somehow made his way to the University of Georgia as a student graduated in 1950 and for years, back when the rules were really different, he was heavily involved in recruiting, football recruiting for Georgia. He was one of a handful <clears> of guys. That wasn't his job. He was in the insurance business. I uh, actually didn't marry my mom until he was 37. So for a number of years there, all he did was work his professional job and then recruit for the dogs. And that involved traveling with the team. Uh, in fact, some of my prized possessions one day when you guys get to Athens, you got to come over here because I want to show them to you. But he gave me his sideline passes going back to the early 50s that I've got upstairs. And so cool. I grew up going to games with my dad. He was kind enough to take me to recruiting meetings. And again, the rules were different. This probably went on to the early 80s or so back when um, what they called athletic representatives could be involved mm -hmm. in recruiting. And so I went to recruiting meetings with them, got the chance to meet Coach Dooley and 
and just do a lot of cool things um, back during those years. And so that's what started my uh, desire to go to Georgia and be a part of the program. I never played football growing up because where I grew up, the youth league games were on Saturdays and I wasn't going to miss going to games on Saturdays home or away, frankly. And so um, being a trainer was a great opportunity, as you know, Jim, to be involved in things and then to learn a ton from Coach Dooley, of course, and then to do the sports information thing after that. So that's the long answer. Uh, without my dad, I, I don't know what it would have looked like, but uh, he and I shared a lot of special times together over the dogs, as I know y'all have. Man, that's super cool. That bro. is very, very wow. cool. We have some. We have a, a good buddy who – whose father did that same type of recruiting stuff. Uh, okay. And he probably, I, I would imagine, ran in the same circles as your dad. Yeah. He, uh, Billy Redden's dad, Dan Redden. Do you know Dan Redden? Okay. You know, I want to say that that name is ringing a bell, and I, I don't know why that would be or if that's if that's the reason why. But um, they, if, if he did that, I'm sure they probably did run in the same circles. Yeah, he, he and a couple of guys were doing that same type of thing you just described back around about the same time mm -hmm. in this yeah. area, obviously. So maybe they didn't cross paths too much, but. You know, while I'm thinking about it, guys, I know y'all appreciate this, but one of the many things that has obviously changed over the years, you think about the financial, I mean, I, I earlier this week had the chance to go in, as I know y'all have um, the new facility over there. Oh, I've been incredible. In a couple of times. I mean, it's just, I, I told my wife, I said, my dad literally would not believe I mean, he, yeah. he would not he couldn't get his mind around it but back in the day when he was involved which as you know in the 50s we were in the drought tech was owning us my dad and dan mcgill were driving around the state of georgia in an old beat-up car asking people for ten dollars to start the georgia bulldog club then in the uh, the 60s we were in financial dire straits for a while there and then coach dooley and joel eaves of course is the athletic director got things turned around and here we are in you know, an $80 million building with a, you know, $64 million West End zone and we're 60 some odd million dollars coming to Sanford Stadium. It's just, it's crazy to think about the difference and really a, a relatively short period of time. When you think yeah. About it. Oh, it's amazing. When we, we were just, Jimbo surprised me when we were up there and, and the family, we all went in uh, a couple weeks ago um, or yeah, about yeah. two weeks ago. And uh, this the the way that's evolved just since he got there, right? Oh, yeah. So when we start when he's when yeah. we started visiting Georgia, doing college visits his junior year. So we're talking seven eight years now, and just to see that involvement, right? It was a showstopper then, but now it's like it blows your mind. I mean, the fact that the athletes can order from their phones whatever they want to eat into that cool new restaurant yeah. bones and the chefs yeah. and everything. And then it's ready when they get there. And then they have the thing. I don't know if you saw it. I'm sure you have. But they teach them how to cook for themselves. To cook the right way I've with the right that. foods and all that. that. They've got that separate test kitchen to the side. I mean, it's crazy. You just think about the, like the, the vision that you need to have. Because, I mean, when I was in college, I knew how to cook like two things. Popcorn. And like maybe grilled cheese, maybe. Yeah, you I were ahead say, of me, Jim, no. I can tell you. And I wasn't a world-class athlete that needed to be fed the appropriate items. So for it's those guys cool. to get that type of instruction, man, it's cool. It's amazing. I'll tell you all this real quickly too. And Jimbo, I know you'll uh, appreciate this. My freshman year, 
the first thing I did as a trainer, I mean, literally we reported, I'll, I'll never forget it was August 18th, 1986. And the first thing we did was move from the Coliseum to what was then the new Butts Muir building, which we were flabbergasted by it because it cost $11 million, all privately raised. And I mean, it's what we had then, which was, we thought incredible, would be an average high school weight room right, right now right. At that, and locker rooms that were that were sterile compared to what they are now so we're in a good place guys i mean you know life's good right now for the dogs there's no doubt it is and it is crazy that's crazy to hear that side of it from your perspective because it has even like my freshman year was the first year that georgia had the indoor facility mm-hmm. and the older managers when i got there and some of the, because we got pretty close with the student trainers too, because we would have to load mm-hmm. the truck together, unpack the truck together. And sure. so we built a pretty good camaraderie between those two kind of student departments. And we, in the summer, because that was the first year of the indoor, we had to move a lot of stuff into the sheds from, or from the sheds into the indoor and get it all set up with the student trainers. And the older managers at the time were telling me, you know, before then they didn't really have an indoor. It was like a 30 yard kind of indoor facility. And when it was being built, they would practice at the uh, IM fields, I believe. I think that's where they practice. And they said like, if there was lightning or stuff outside, they just couldn't practice. Right. And it was blowing my mind because I was like, you're telling me that the university of Georgia football program if they have a big game that week and it lightnings, they're just, they cannot practice. That's unbelievable. And it, and the other crazy thing that I think is you see production with facility additions, like the year one, when we had the indoor, my freshman year, we went to the national championship. We won the sec. Then the next year, uh, the West end zone comes, we made it to the sec. Not as good this past year when we won the national championship, that's when we finished the new weight room. Everybody could work out in the same weight room at once. We were never able to do that. And it just blew my mind because I, well, like my freshman year, like my dad was saying, I thought the facilities were unbelievable. And now these new ones, you couldn't even, you couldn't even compare them. I mean, it's like the old ones would be embarrassing on how good the new ones are. It's just unbelievable. Um, But one other question I wanted to ask you going back to your student trainer days and I know it's definitely evolved a lot from a student worker perspective but how many student trainers were there when you worked there oh gosh I want to say Jim it was probably eight to ten in that range okay. probably nice and be off a little you- bit on that with 30 some odd years of memory but that sounds <laughs> about right for you guys what were some of your kind of responsibilities as a student trainer because I think people would be interested to hear that I've told a couple stories from a manager perspective but the student trainers are just as like every student worker I always tell people are really the kind of backbone for the whole support staff because you kind of have to wear a lot of hats as a student so if you could just kind of dive into a little bit of your responsibilities as a student trainer for when you were with the team you know, that's another thing, by the way, gentlemen, that has seen that new training room last week. 
<laughs> and, and again, we had what was state-of-the-art facilities. We moved from the mm-hmm. Coliseum, which was the, I'm sure, the archaic ones then. But uh, that's a great question, Jim. And I will tell you that primarily with football, we all were assigned to a group. So my group was the defensive backs, which was with Bill Lewis, our defensive coordinator, and he was our secondary coach. We learned so much from him. And really, we got there, I'm sure like you guys did as managers, Jimbo, we got there before the the players did. And I'm talking about for practice, whatever, but for practice, we would tape (laughs) ankles. Uh, We would tape not necessarily just our group, but anybody that would come in that needed to be taped, which was everybody, they all got taped up. And then we would basically be with our position coach for the entirety of the practice. And if anything ever happened with an injury or something like that, then um, we were the initial uh, line of responsibility there. My expertise was minimal with that sort of thing. So if somebody got hurt, I would be taking them to somebody else, maybe our head trainer or or whatnot and then we were just available and, and I know Jimbo like I'm sure you would tell others I mean I the hours out on that practice field I mean it just and a lot of it kind of drags on I mean there would be days where you know if somebody would say when's practice gonna end well it would end whenever coach Dooley said it would end yeah. and then afterwards there might be treatment if you were involved in players that were injured and they were doing treatment afterwards and I tell my my son, who's a freshman at Georgia now, and he can't get his mind around this, the dining halls for, quote, unquote, regular students, they all closed at 7 o'clock. There there was no 24-hour option. And so made many sprints from the Woodruff practice fields to Snelling, just hoping to get there in time to to go eat before going and whatever came after that, studying and and whatnot. So, and then we all had responsibilities with another sport. Uh, Mine was track for a while where you might be involved in, in whatever that sport had going on. You might travel with that sport um, Mm -hmm. depending on what was taking place. So it just was a lot of time, some of it idle because you're just there and you're available. And, um, but what an, what an incredible experience. I mean, getting to, be on that field. And, and I've, I've thought about this so much as I know many, many others have, but since coach Dooley passed away, just, just to be around him and just to be on that field and to hear him talk to his team and get his team prepared and to see the way he carried himself and dealt with adversity and other things. It was just a, it was a classroom that I didn't understand I was in at the time, but boy, I tell you, I can honestly say that, there's probably not a day of, in my life that's gone by where I haven't drawn on something that I learned from him. Man, that's super cool. I like the way you said that. That's very cool. Yeah. And I I feel very similar to that in my time working as a manager and under Coach Smart. You definitely mm-hmm. – I've, I've noticed it now, making the transition out of college to becoming a real adult and working a job. Um, yeah. You do – pull a lot from those experiences just from a work ethic standpoint from sometimes a patient standpoint like you said those long hours and having to show up before the players having to stay after they leave and really learning also how to manage your time like doing that on top of school because it it, you know Georgia is a great school and um Mm -hmm. it's not it's not a walk in the park academically so you know, a couple of those things I've always looked back on whenever something happens, just 
in life, whether it's work or just real life, it everything always translates. And at the time, like you said, some of the things I didn't understand or realize, you know, so there were times where I was like, why, you know, why are we even here? We should have left two hours ago. And you realize that it's just part of the grind. It's hard work. You're there for a reason. And if you're not doing your job down here as a student, there are people above you that might not be able to do their job. So it's, uh, it's just a great experience. And I always encourage people to try to get involved. If you love sports, if maybe you played in high school, but maybe couldn't play at a major level, try to become a student manager, student trainer, or really, I mean, their student recruiting assistants, student coaching assistant. So I think it really is one of the biggest blessings that I ever got. And it's just such a, a cool, especially to do it at a school that you love. I mean, it's, you right. feel like you're part of the team, you know, for those years that you work, I mean, cause you are, you're in there every day, you're building great relationships with the players. And so it really is just an awesome experience. No yeah, the, the, the team, they really did it. They, they rewarded these guys by allowing even us to be at all the games you know we were in the player family deal and and so the it, we got to ride the train alongside Jim and, and his crew and the team and um and, and just building those relationships with the other families and the and the people inside the program it, it was just such an experience and to your point a minute ago bro what a time to be a dog I mean man oh it, it's it's real good right now. So yeah. let's talk about that, right? We're coming off of a, another season. I mean, you haven't had a, a problem inside the stadium in some time yeah. uh, when you're calling games. You're pretty much on fire over these last couple of seasons. Uh, it's got to go. It goes all the way back to South Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. So it's been a while since there's even been a, a, a slip up at home. Um, what is it like? What's going on in Athens right now? What's the vibe? Tell us a little bit about that. You know, it, it's uh, it's hard to articulate, and and I know you guys know you've experienced it, but it's um, the vibe is great. I mean, we're we're I don't want to say that the town is altogether accustomed to with being national champions. You still can't go anywhere without seeing that. It sure is fun to put on something that says it. Yeah. Uh, the stadium. I, it, it, I'll say this randomly. Playing well at home is super important to me, and and it is to any Georgia fan, I'm sure. But growing up there, that needs to be a tough place to play. It needs to be a place where we have a phenomenal record and where we rarely fall short. And there's been some years there. I actually went back this this year and and tried to go back and count up all the games. I started going in about 1976, and so. I saw some great years, some lean years, um, years where we've gone three and three at home. It's just, it's just not fun. And so I will tell you all that after starting announcing and getting up into the nineties, there were some years there where we struggled, as y'all know. And it just, I always wanted to live to see a time where we could be as loud as anybody and we could be as tough as any place to play. And we've seen that. And, and to your point, it's funny because I, I was looking back last night, I was trying to, recount some years the last four or five years and and looking back at some scores and that South Carolina blemish which still is that's just one of those mysterious things that happened but I don't know if you guys remember this I, I've forgotten it but I mean we had just beaten Notre Dame a yeah. couple of weeks ago that was the next home game after the Notre Dame game and then we'd beaten Tennessee on the road so it things happen you're not going to win them all but man it sure is fun 
when it's going the way it's going now. And, and I think it is a it's a chicken or the egg argument. Some people will say, well, the crowd's going to be great when you win. And that's true on one level, but the crowd can really affect things on the field as well. And so you, sure. which comes first, I don't know. But I mean, to me, the the measure of a, a true home field advantage is when the crowd is loud, even when things are not going the way they're supposed to. And I right. digress a little bit and say that the Tennessee game this year, which to me, I'm, there's some recency bias here probably, but I, it might be the all-time greatest experience I've ever had in that stadium. Wow. That is thing awesome. That really, thing that really got my attention, guys, and I know y'all appreciate this, is that when we turned it over early, and everybody knows that you just absolutely can't turn it over, and we did, and they've got the ball, if not on the plus side of the field, right close. And and I, I'll confess that I'm thinking, golly, we did the exact thing that we can't do, and the whole crowd's thinking that. And the next thing you know, the place is deafening. And it stayed that way again and again and again. And, and that's that's what you gotta have. Anybody can be loud when you when you break off a long run or get a pick six, that's easy. But can you make it such that you really affect the game? And we've done that. And and that's been it's been fun to see. And I, I shared this with y'all. My my son's a freshman at Georgia, my daughter is a senior, and you don't know the number of times I've told them you just don't realize what you're experiencing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And go back to 1892 and just look through all the years. And, and when has this ever happened? And the answer is pretty much never. Never. So mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's the best run. Uh, and for those of you that are tuning in, this is the iconic announcer of Sanford Stadium, Brooke Whitmire, sharing some stories with us. Post-Christmas holiday, pre New Year's Eve, big time peach ball situation we've got coming up. What a fun time we're having. And to think about the stadium, Jimbo and I have a little a little debate from time to time about the stadium and the size and the noise and the importance, just to your point there, Brooke, I wanted to ask you this question. I hadn't thought to ask you this, but we've said for a long time, 92,000 645 or 90, whatever that number is, right? And sometimes we've hit 93 with however many people are standing around. If we were to close in, I know we've got an iconic stadium and I know it's super cool. And I know it just has got the look and the feel. If we were to close that sucker in, we'd be at a hundred plus. And the sound that we're losing right now, that's going out. I mean, it would be maddening. I mean, and so I just wonder if you hear anything about that or have have an opinion on it. You know, I don't don't hear anything about that of late. Um, I do have an opinion that I'll share momentarily. I, I, I think that that's been considered through the years. I was told, and I don't know if there's truth to this, but a number of years ago, something on the order of 20 years ago, I think it was really considered before we did some of the other things that we've done with expansion. I, I think the view from that bridge and, and the way that that stadium sits right in the campus and anybody can walk across that bridge and look out in there and see that is so breathtakingly grand that I think the decision's just been that we don't want to lose that. It's, it yeah. would be the ultimate trade-off. And I will tell y'all, there's not a, and living here, it's so wonderful because you get to be on campus a lot, get to be around Athens. There's never a time when somebody isn't standing there gazing into that stadium. Sure. So mm-hmm. now, that said, I will tell you, and you raise a great point, Jim. Our band blows sound out of the stadium. 
the visiting ban, and these are these things are changing, as y'all know. That's another thing that's changed, and I don't like this particular piece, but it used to be that all of the bands brought their full band and played, and that was a big part of the pageantry. Well, for years and years and years, their band, South Carolina, Auburn, whoever it is, they're blowing sound into the stadium, and they're louder than our band because we're blowing it out. And you may recall that uh, Greg McGarity, when he got here, he switched the band for one year there to the end zone. It really wasn't a good fit. But even so, I would contend that if we really wanted to change that, we'd have our band where the visiting band is now at that angle blowing sound in because we do lose a lot. And I, I'm a symmetry guy. I, in fact, Vern Lundquist told me one time, I asked him this when we met, I said, what's your, what's your favorite stadium? And he gave the, he goes, I promise you, I'm not just saying this, but I really love Sanford Stadium and, and it's probably my favorite place to go. But he also pointed out that he loved the symmetry of Bryant-Denny Stadium, because if you look at that, it's just perfectly symmetrical. We lost that when we added Sky Suites and a third deck, and so it looks a little bit different than I grew up with. If it were up to me, we would have never lost that and maybe figure out a way to do suites another way. But all of that to say, I don't know if it'll ever happen. I think you're exactly right. It would be deafening if it did. It would put us over 100. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know that they're ever going to give up that that bridge and that view, yeah. and I'm not mm -hmm. sure they should. Yeah, I agree. I, I we and we bounce it back and forth, and it the only moment of frustration we really have is when we see these other stadiums at a hundred plus, and we're like, man, we could do that no problem, you know. And what advantage would that be for us? And then it takes away the classy, just that that just the I can't think of the right word, but it's just got it's got such I don't know it's got such a great feel to it the way it is it's so mm -hmm. natural and it sits right down in that valley and it's on yeah. camp in fact i mentioned I mentioned larry england the stadium announcer that preceded me he used to always welcome fans by saying welcome to beautiful sanford state that was the adjective that he used and he's exactly right it's just a beautiful place and for years it was beautiful and not quite as loud as it needed to be that always bothered me it's like look you can be beautiful and intimidating at the same time we don't have to choose. And so, and then they're going to do a lot of improvements to it, which are needed. I don't know if you guys, that South mm -hmm. side, I grew up on the South side. I mean, there's just people forget this, but one of the greatest things about our stadium is that there is no portal. That lower level is 60 rows and there's no interruption. There's nobody coming in the middle mm -hmm. of row 30. It's just all sideline seating. Trade-off for that is, is that it's difficult to go get a Coke or, or whatever. Right. Um, and I, I do think it's interesting, and I know you guys pay attention to this like I do. If you notice our upper deck, if, if you could go back and change one thing, when they double-decked that stadium, I believe in 1967, the upper deck is small. I mean, it's it's not that many rows. I think it's uh, – don't quote me on this, but it, it's, it's fewer than 20 rows, I believe. And so – look at Clemson's Clemson's uh I mean it just goes forever and so I yeah. we could go back and change all that maybe the upper deck could have been bigger and you could have done some other things but it's still uh as if it's not my favorite place in the world it's awfully close to it yeah that's I awesome bet. well it's certainly ours too yeah uh, this is great fun chatting with you bro we can't thank you enough so we'll, we don't want to take up your whole day here we got a couple more questions yeah um, so this is one that I'm super excited to ask I it's kind of a two-part question. It, it just popped into my mind as we're telling these stories. But so we know how much you love the dogs. When you're 
in a game, is there a part of you that at times when you're, you know, making a call, reporting a play, do you have to at, at times like curb your emotion? Because when you talk about the beginning of the Tennessee game, we turn it over, you know, do you have to kind of like hold yourself back from, you know, not trying to inflect too much? Yes. Homerism? You know, yeah. Like, yeah. is that? Yes. Absolutely. And there that's a balancing act. It's been that way from the beginning. I, I'm never going to say that I'm not a homer. Um, different people have different views on that. I know some people probably, uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people that um, would prefer a different style maybe in, in, a, in a stadium announcer. But I, I do think it is possible to be professional and still be a homer to a point. Uh, right. I'm more excited when Georgia gets the first down than when South Carolina does. I can promise yeah. you. Yeah. And my, the, they need to find the, somebody else if that ever changes. Yes. <laughs> the And my follow up was because one of my favorite things about Sanford Stadium, and you contribute a lot to it, is third downs. Oh. And your third down calls are electric. And so I wanted to ask have you have you done that since you started or did that start later where you kind of, cause I think it's one of the most fun things about every game. When we get a third down, you know, it's coming. Well, thank you, Jim. And I, I will tell you, no, that did not start from the beginning. That sort of evolved over time. And um, there are some third downs are bigger than others. As y'all know, I mean, it, there've been yeah. a couple where man, the game's on the line here. And so, and it's fun. I mean, I'm dating myself here a little bit, but when I started, there was no video board. There was, I mean, there was none of that. And so now the production people who do a phenomenal job can coordinate things with that. Um, and, and it's just something that's just sort of come over time, I think. And so now it's, uh, now I, I feel like I need to record it one day so that when I keep doing this much longer, or collapse along or something during a third down. <laughs> You got you got to get some of those highlights for sure. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure there's a million ways yeah. to get those, and I, I love when you do the the very beginning when you if you're blood and when you as soon as I hear that I'm like runs red yeah. black. I'm like just get you jacked up, and then I also love depending upon where we're ranked, and you always say like you know the number thirteen Georgia. Now I was up recently it's been incredible, but oh, yeah. I noticed the first time I was in there. Uh, a while back and we had become number one and you just lit up when you're like, you're number one joy. And oh my God, the place awesome. was crazy. Well, thank you. And I, I'll tell y'all and y'all know this It's this is another sign of the times. I started in 1992. The first time I was ever able to say the number one team in the land was at the beginning of the 2008 season. And I'll never forget. I was at the, I was at the pool over the summer with some buddies that were Georgia fans. And I said, Hey, you, you think I ought to say that? And they said, man, you absolutely should, because you never know when you're going to get the chance to say it again. That's right. Well, it was years. And then a couple of times here and there the last couple of years. And now it's like, I don't know how many times we've all had the privilege of saying that this, this, this run that we're on, but Hey man, enjoy it while you can, because you know, what if you're, I think about this. Think about being unranked. Think about saying you're the number 24. Hey, that's great. I mean, it's all relative. Sometimes you're happy to be the number 24 sure. team, depending on what's going on. But, hey, we're number one. We need to enjoy it and keep on that mountaintop as long as we can. Yeah, That's awesome. And one of my other favorite – I mean, 
I guess my other favorite in the game is the touchdown Georgia. I love that oh, every yeah. touchdown. I say that with my little brother all the time. Um, but one other question relating to the third down <clears throat> sequence, do you feel that you almost have an effect on the defense at times when you know it's a huge third down and you give your third down call? Because I, I feel like the whole – or maybe just the stadium in general, because I feel like everyone feeds off of it. It definitely affects the stadium. Yeah, for sure. You know, Jim, uh, that's a great question. And I, I I grew up in that stadium, and I love going to football games with my family. People ask me, what you know, what do you like about road games? I just love going to be able to be a fan and, and sit with the ones that I love and family and friends and whatnot but we've all been there. You're at a game and it's sometimes easy to get disconnected from things or you're not paying enough attention or you're kind of distracted with something and, and maybe you don't realize that it's third and eight. And so I think what I, what I like about that and what I hope that accomplishes is that that gathers people's attention to where however many of the 92,000 are wearing red and black are now engaged. They affect the team. It's not me, but it's their response to that that maybe gets everybody on the same page of saying, look, it's third and eight. Let's get a false start here if we can. Let's get a yeah. – um, or, or or just jack up somebody a little bit more than they already were jacked up to go – I mean, it's the, it's a game of centimeters. We all know that, don't we? It's mm -hmm. like hey, maybe that one extra burst does something. So mm -hmm. – I'm not going to sit here and say that that's, that's Brooke Whitmire doing that. That's the crowd doing that. But if it's mm -hmm. in response to something that I can bring about, then that, that makes me feel good. Yeah, but that's the trigger point, right? Like you said, to your point, people aren't always in the zone on every single play. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot going on around you. People getting up, down, you're with family, and somebody's asked you about this on the last play, and all of a sudden, like, oh, my God. And then you hear the, and, you know, the roar just comes. Yeah. And, everybody's zoned in and we need that. Well, you know, you guys made me think of something that I want to mention before I forget. It's something I learned my first year that I've, I've never forgotten. And it kind of goes back to that balance of being informative. Look, it, nobody's coming to the game to hear the stadium announcer. That's not my, my role, but you can be informative and, and have some fun at the same time. But I'll never forget at the end of my, I think it was the last game of my first year. I went down to my family's seats where I grew up and met her family to walk back to the wherever we were going back to the tailgate or whatever and I was introduced to a gentleman who was blind who was at the game and who he, he, he made some nice remarks and gave me some encouragement over some details that I was providing that he appreciated and I thought mm -hmm. I've never thought about that I've never thought that somebody's there are people there that are visually impaired that they aren't seeing everything that we all are seeing there's the guy and we've you know, I, I've been there and most of us have, Jimbo, you will one day. There's the poor guy whose three-year-old had to go to the bathroom and he's in the bathroom and maybe there's a TV monitor, maybe there's not, but he may not know that there's a minute and a half left and a half and that it's third and whatever. And so it's kind of that balance of giving as much information without being over the top at the same time, because nobody wants to, nobody wants to experience that. Love it. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't think that. of that perspective I either. That's that. very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, because you you know you do dart like with our with Jimbo's younger brother and sister. If I have to run up to the restroom, you know you don't know what the heck's going on. Yeah, I mean, no, but then we no. hear your voice and boom, the crowd and it, you know it's that's an interesting perspective. Hadn't thought yeah. of that. <clears throat> so do, do a like, quick six, yeah, quick six, Absolutely. and then we can end with 
how we're feeling about the game. How we're feeling about the game, yeah. So, quick six I've got here for you, Brooke. The little thing we do with everybody, all of our special guests, are brought to you by Blue 32, which is a local place here in Jacksonville that is a recovery for athletes, folks that have uh, any type of ailment. Really cool spot. Cryotherapy. uh, They do compression. They do hyperbaric chamber. They do all kinds of stuff. They've been a sponsor with us throughout the season, and uh, they're just wonderful folks over there. They take great care of you. So we try to always promote them on the show. They do get a lot of athletes over there. It's owned by a former NFL player, Drayton Florence. He and his staff are exceptional. They're getting you put back to put to put the pieces back together, whether it's recovery from being worn down or from working out or an actual athlete. There's a lot of D1 athletes rolling in that other. So thank you to Blue 32 for that. Uh, all right, Brooke, this is easy. Shouldn't tax you too much. Um, you got over 30 years in the booth there uh, with the iconic job and voice of leading us through our Saturday afternoons and evenings at times, uh, really bringing the experience to us to another level. So here's some some questions for you. Let's see how you do. Okay, you ready? Just whatever comes to your to mind right yeah. away, just hit it. All right. So favorite ice cream? Chocolate. Just straight chocolate. Nothing else. Chocolate. Yeah, I mean, okay. if I had to name one, it'd have to be chocolate. Okay. Moose tracks, got if I got technical on you, I'd have to say moose tracks, but chocolate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've had a few chocolates yeah. over the course of the season. We haven't had really any exotic stuff. Um, okay. Favorite sport growing up? College football. Yeah. Or do you mean to play? I'm sorry. Play or to watch? Uh, either. Either. Uh, to play would be baseball, to watch college football. Okay. Nice. Got it. And who, I, I'm sure you, I mean, you've seen the majority, well, not the majority, but a lot of the great athletes to come through Athens. And you've seen a lot of other athletes, I'm sure, watching whatever other sports you watch. Do you have a favorite athlete of all time and who would that be? You know, I wasn't privileged to watch him play. through the years and all that I've heard about him would have loved to have seen him in person. So I'd have to say trippy. Wow. How about that? That's awesome. That's cool. Very cool. Uh, favorite sports team of all time could be the dogs. We probably think that's what it is, but if it's outside the dogs. Somehow in the seventies growing up in Atlanta, Maybe because they were winning and maybe because back then they were one of the only teams, as y'all know, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot on TV compared to now. I compared to now, I absolutely love the Well, I grew up in DC, so I grew up a Redskin fan. So okay. we're we are, you know, bitter enemies when it comes to that. Right. But if you think you've had a tough time. You don't even want to know what it's like to be a Redskin fan. Redskin fan. I mean, it is. That's right. Oh, yeah. And but definitely the Eagles. Eagles. Definitely the Eagles, although I said the other day, when you got Jordan Davis on there and the Kobe Dean, there's a part of me that's pulling for him. So, yeah. Uh, sure. We watched to see those guys for sure. That's All right. right. So, what's, what's the favorite part of being the voice of Sanford Stadium? Wow. Um, 
I, I, I'm going to cheat and give you a two-part answer. That one is the beginning of the game because I just love growing up going to those games and being in Sanford Stadium and knowing what it means to all of us, knowing that multiplied by however many, there are families sitting there that have looked forward to that day. There's father-son relationships that are being nurtured there. There's all sorts of things going on in that stadium. And when it's finally time to tee it up between the hedges and just to start that, knowing that everybody, that's the culmination of what we've all been looking forward to, is really, that that's a lot of fun. And the other thing is when there's a big play and the crowd comes through, whether that's a third down or whether that's something where you feel like, you know what, we just got a false start. And we did that because this crowd was as engaged as it should have been, and it affected the game. That is fun to see. Do you remember the That's Arkansas awesome. game last year? Uh, that I'm telling you right now, I, and I'll go to my grave saying this, Dan Jackson, who's a great guy, by the way, Dan's a, a super young man. You know, he blocked a, a kick in that game, as y'all yeah. know. That, that – the beginning of that game at noon, that's as loud as it's ever been. As y'all know, and I'm, I'm telling you nothing you don't know, but in my humble opinion, that is when we became a championship team. That moment early on when we got those false start penalties and that place was just bonkers, I really feel like that that was the tipping point, if you will, that really keyed the rest of the season. I really no, that's believe cool. That's cool to hear that. I, we I we felt that. We felt that. That was something. That was epic. And for it to be a noon was really something to see us flex like that. Unbelievable. Yeah. I never would have dreamed that we'd see that. Uh, last question. What's your favorite call sitting in that chair ever? Mm. Gosh, I don't know that I can. I, that's a great, I've never been asked that. Um, man. It might very well have been something from the Tennessee game this year. I mean, I, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, Notre Dame was amazing. Yeah. Um, I, when, when, gosh, just it's hard. The to Notre say. Dame game was probably we talk about what's the what what we've been a part of in the stadium. What was the craziest, best, you know, most hype experience? And I'm pretty sure we said Notre Dame. We didn't get to the Tennessee game. Arkansas. Arkansas. Well, for Notre, me, Dame, Notre, Dame, Notre Dame, Arkansas. For me, Arkansas was way louder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I I, I say this um, carefully, and by carefully, I mean I don't mean this to be negative at all, but when you think about it, guys, in recent times, we've had a lot of fun in that stadium. We're, we're throwing off names like Arkansas and Notre Dame and Tennessee, of course. But for years, you think about it, we've had some great years where a lot of the moments were not in Sanford Stadium. Whereas yep. you take Auburn, in one year they have the prayer Jordan here and the kick six. That, those are two once in once in two lifetime events that happen in the same season, same state. Happened like two weeks, two weeks apart. apart. You think about 2017. Here we go to the national championship game, and the one thing that I, Georgia fans that I talked to, the one thing they can remember from that year at home was the uh, the the first play of the Mississippi State game when flea we flea ran a flea flicker and scored, and it was great. But I just just something about in this championship run, I, it, it it just does my heart good to think back on memories that we've had at home. And if we go on and do what we're all hoping this year that we're going to do for the Tennessee <laughs> game to be 
he just like the Arkansas game was. That's just mm-hmm. that's just special because it needs to be. It needs to be. Lord knows we've <laughs> we've done plenty of suffering over the years with some games, as we all yeah. know. So I still feel like we'll do a lot more before that score gets even. There have been some great well, turnabouts. Your, uh, your touches there more. on the on the fan base, both in Sanford Stadium and importantly on the road, wherever we need to go now going forward. I know. It, Another Peach Bowl on the Vans isn't necessarily people don't think it's on the road, but it's a road game. So the fan, the, the importance of the fan base. Jimbo touched on the involvement of the program, the facilities, and the guys having easier time of being all together. Whether that's through workouts, lifts, practices, downtime, training, treatment, all of that, right? The whole thing has mm-hmm. really got some great momentum. And as we move into this Peach Bowl. Um, I, you know, I've been back and forth on this. We've been talking about it. I've felt good some days. I've not felt so good on some days. A little worried about some of our injuries. A little yeah. worried about some of their speed. I like that we've been fairly quiet, sort of Kirby style. I like that. Uh, you give him a lot of time to plan. I like that. So, I don't know, uh, Jimbo. I know we wanted to ask Brooke for sort of his thoughts on where he's feeling things are with the team and the game coming up. Would you add anything to that? I don't think so. Just kind of wanted to know your thoughts on how you're feeling going into the game, really. You know, I I, I agree with what Jim or what, what you both are saying. I like the low-key approach, the professional organizational approach. Um, I, I like the fact that we've had time to prepare. Uh, somebody texted me last night and said, what are you thinking? And I said, well, you know, I'm always, always nervous. Yeah. Uh, I would describe myself as cautiously optimistic. I mean, you get to this level, Ohio State is awfully good. They're awfully mm. fast. They're going to present some problems. Um, I, it's amazing to me, guys, how at any level, any game with this game of football and college football in particular, it always comes down to can you block, can you tackle, and who's going to not turn it over? I mean, yeah. I, it's mm-hmm. you know, we got to be physical. I feel like if we can use the strength of our interior line and, and, and I'm talking about on the defensive side of the ball and create some mm. pressure – that we might be able to, to have some individual plays that really impact the game. But, gosh, I mean, I don't want to give up 500 yards passing again. I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I say that, and imagine playing Georgia and you figure out a way to throw for 500 yards and you lose by 20 and get 50. On that's it. crazy. <laughs> I, it's crazy. But it I, that said, it's like I, I, I feel like the secondary is going to acquit itself nicely. Um, I sure hope so. And, I don't know. I, I, it's, I, I wouldn't want to bet against Georgia. I'll say that. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're about the same spot as you are cautious, a little nervous, uh, hoping for the heat of this time off again for healing as well for the guys that need it. And that we could be as close to full strength as possible. And man, I sure hope we run into you uh, at the ball game. That would be a blast. Yeah. Um, just to, just to hang for a few minutes. Uh, worst case, we'll get to Athens and get together at some Please point do. relatively Let's soon. For sure. Um, so safe travels on your drive over. Jimbo, anything else? for? I don't think so. Just can't thank you enough for your time. It was so awesome to get to talk to you. And um, I love just sharing stories with fellow student managers, student trainers, and to be able to talk and uh, share some great stories with the voice of the dogs has just been a great honor and pleasure for me. So thank you for everything. This has been uh, awesome. You're very welcome. And it's been a joy for me too. Thank you. And we'll look for you in Atlanta.
Sounds awesome. great. We'll see you, bro. Thank Go you. dogs. Go dogs. See you, bro. See Go dogs. Okay, we're back. Thanks so much to Brooke for the wonderful interview and all the time he took with us from his man cave while we were in the decision cave. Uh, that was an impressive spot, and I certainly look forward to taking him up on that invitation to slide over there next time we're in Athens and check out all of his stuff over the last half a century of his family being involved with the Georgia Bulldog program. Hopefully we'll run into you, uh, Brooke, this weekend, but thanks again for coming on the Two Average Gym show. We greatly appreciate it, and uh, we appreciate your friendship and all you've done for us. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much, Brooke. That was in an incredible interview. Um, thank you so much. Looking forward to meeting you at some point soon in person. Um, but thank you again. Hope that everybody enjoyed that interview. I know I did. That was just oh, eye-opening stuff. Yeah, fantastic. Um, but getting back to the Ohio State Georgia Peach Bowl game. Um, we left off talking about their strength, covering the tight ends and the running backs. Three out of our four top receivers on our team are a tight end or a running back. Um, we're still going to need to feature those guys. So I don't think Ohio State's played a tight end like Brock Bowers. I don't think they played a tight end like Darnell Washington. So they played. They played Michael Mayer in the first week. Or second, yeah, or second this week. This is the first week. Yeah, first week. Uh, actually, when we were out in Vegas. Um, so they, I mean, he's a, a huge tight end talent. He'll be a first round pick. Um, so they, they played him. He's a little different than Brock or Darnell, um, but still a, a very, very solid tight end. For sure. And, you know, that I, Notre Dame didn't have the right quarterback in that game. They couldn't get anything going. Yeah. So I don't think they really. Yeah, I think this will be different because we're definitely a we've turned into what seems to be more of a pass first attitude or pass more than we've ever had at at UGA where you know we've known for a long time Georgia the saying run the damn ball we always you know just pounded the pounded the rock and um I don't think they've defended tight ends like that before so I'm not reading into that as much the Michigan tight end had a great game against Ohio State. I don't think the Michigan tight end is as good as Brock or Darno. Yeah. So I still expect us to be successful with the tight ends. They are not as good with receivers. So in a second, I'll get to it more, but our receivers are going to have to step up and make plays. And I think their last strength before we get into where they're weak, which is, I think is way more important, um, they're coming off of a loss into the playoff and we did last year and look what happened to us. So it's never easy to get into the playoff off of a loss. You obviously need some help. Maybe some crazy things have to happen. Um, but they're definitely hungry. They know that they got a second chance yeah. and really, you know, they do have a lot of pressure at the same time. I think Ryan day has a lot of pressure on them. But they got a second chance. And sometimes that's makes a team even more connected, yeah, even you even know more focused. Because not many people get that second <laughs> chance. So we'll see how all of that plays into it. Um I think their weaknesses a lot of the trends that I picked up were they were very undisciplined 
on the back end with their eye control, their defensive backs, especially on play action stuff, they really keep their eyes in the backfield, which that's not what you're taught to do as a defensive back. You got to keep, I mean, when you're playing man coverage, you got to keep your eyes on your guy. And so they, in the Michigan game on those explosive plays, like J.J. McCarthy didn't throw the ball that much in that game. I think he only completed like 14 passes. Mm -hmm. But they had, I think, three passing plays of 45 yards or more. And they basically all came off of play action pretty much. And a lot of it was because their safeties just rushed up the field or just got caught looking in the backfield while the receiver got right behind him. So I think Arian Smith is going to be a huge factor in this game, just like he was in the Tennessee game where he caught um, a huge bomb off of play action at the beginning. Um, I think the tight ends will be huge off of play action. So I think that'll be big for us. Um, kind of to go with that, they do give up a lot of explosive plays. I watched the Maryland game, which Maryland kept it close until the final whistle, basically. And they had a lot of explosive plays in the passing game. Like, Tuilea Tagovailoa was looking like Tua Tagovailoa when they played. And Maryland, I mean, Maryland's not that great of a team, you know? They're decent, but... 7-5, 6-6, somewhere in 7-5, probably. And they probably should not have hung with Ohio state that long. Right. So I really think our wide receivers will have to step up They're I think 109th in the country covering wide receivers in the past game. So, you know, you're looking for Arian to have a big game. Marcus Roseme, AD lad, Kiaris, Dylan bell, really anybody to step up and just our receivers to make plays. And they're probably going to bracket our tight ends and make our receivers make plays because everybody always says about us, we don't have a dominant number one receiver that can just go make a play, which I disagree with. But the receivers are going to have to step up and make plays, and I think they will. Um, The other things that you look at, so in the Michigan game, in the Northwestern game, and in the Maryland game, those were the three that I watched the closest. Um, all of those games, their edge rushers had a ton of trouble defending the quarterback run. I don't know why it was just simple zone read stuff, but, and big Jim was watching one of the Northwestern clips with me. Northwestern won one game this year, which I picked correctly at the beginning of the season when they beat Nebraska and Ireland. Um, Northwestern scored 35 in that game against Nebraska. They scored 35 their next six games combined. Just to give you a feel for Northwestern not being a very good team and playing Ohio State this year, which they were, this was like a one-score game going to the fourth quarter. And now it was at Northwestern. That's a very tough place to play. But the Northwestern quarterback, who was not a burner or anything, they were doing just simple zone read, read option stuff, and he was getting yards, like chunks of yards. And remember that one clip I showed you, Mm -hmm. Big Jim, where the entire defense just collapsed? Mm -hmm. So I think they are very undisciplined with their pass rushers. So I could see us running a lot of screens 
running back screens, tight end, sc- the little flip screen to uh, Brock. Lad, I, I could see um, a lot of QB runs in the red zone for Stetson or design runs or at least running more zone read, give, pull, action. Um, because I think Stetson's really good at it. He's a very capable runner. He's shifty. And they don't have – this goes along with – you know, another one of their weaknesses, they don't have their normal elite pass rusher. Like for years they had the Bosa brothers, Chase Young. Who else do they have? Um, They've had a bunch. Like, you know, they always have one guy on the edge that can just get after you. They don't really have that this year. I'd say their leading pass rusher, Jack Sawyer, he's got four and a half sacks. He's good, but he's not your typical Ohio State monster coming off the edge. (laughs) So... Um, we'll see. I, I just don't think they have a great pass rush. I think we have a very good offensive line. We've not given up many sacks at all this year. Um, and then their last weakness to me is, uh, their coaching. I just don't believe that their coaching is up to par with us. I don't think Ryan day has he I think he has one big win over all these years and he was handed the keys to a Ferrari I think and he really hasn't done much with it and I just think our staff as a whole is a lot better he brought in a new defensive coordinator this year to limit explosive plays and they gave up even more explosive plays mm-hmm. this year and they lost to Michigan at home and he has all this talent and to me when you have a plethora of talent like that and you can't even win your division that's that's not good coaching yeah um so you know i i just think coaching this will be a game where coaching can really really you'll see the maturity of coach smart being there having won a national championship this is his third playoff appearance and just he's been a head coach longer than Ryan Day. Mm-hmm. And so I think I truly think that you'll really see a difference in coaching. And I think I don't think Ryan Day is going to get fired or anything if they lose, but I definitely think his seat's getting a little warm. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I mean, <clears throat> if you don't win this game, you know, wh- I mean, with all that, I mean, you had a top 3 Picking top five, picking the draft at quarterback for two years, and you you didn't win one big game with them yeah. at all. So as t- as tough as those guys are to find in college football, you got to show something for it. So I think you know those will be huge. Well, we'll see how everything plays out. I mean, he, <laughs> I think he's dangerous, and I think he knows he's on the hot seat. I expect him to be more focused than normal. And I would expect his best. I don't know if it's going to be good enough, but I would expect his best for sure. Yeah, I think we'll definitely get his best, but I also think the pressure plays a part into it, and more so in-game coaching. Mm-hmm. When you got to make a decision seconds away, crowd's going nuts, what do you do? We saw Coach Smart make a bad call when he was a young coach. Yep. Do we see a situation like that with Ryan Day in this game? I mean... I sure hope so, but I don't know. Um, 
so I, I do think it'll be an interesting game. I really think we're the two most purely talented teams in the country. Now, the most talented team doesn't always win. So we'll see. I think... Um, I'm going to hit the uh, special spot there. Real okay. Quick. I think... Uh, yeah. I think um, for defense, just really two keys. Wrap up and tackle and stop the run. I think if we eliminate the run game, you don't have to worry about play action and you can kind of just force them to make CJ Stroud drop back and sit back there. I think our pass rush is good enough to get after him, like Big Jim said, and really affect the rest of the game. I really think our game plan will be somewhat similar. Well, Never mind. I was going to say to Tennessee, but they run a, just a totally different offense. Um, but personnel-wise, I think Tennessee and Ohio State are similar on the offensive side. Good running back, you know, really good quarterback, great receivers. I think Hennon Hooker is a better quarterback than C.J. Stroud, but I think Ohio State's receivers are much better. So if we just wrap up and tackle um, and get after the quarterback, that will be huge. Uh, when we've run into trouble this season, it's when we have not tackled well, when we've missed a bunch and these are going to be the fastest and shiftiest receivers that we've seen this year, skill guys that we've seen this year. So it'll be interesting. I feel good about it. We'll get to score predictions here in a second. <coughs> um, I also think Really, we just we got to flex our muscle. We got to show people we are the number one team in the country. We have the perfect opportunity to put ourselves in a position to win back-to-back -back national championships. I don't know when the last time that happened was at Georgia when we were in the position to do this, but in an era where it is so hard to win, like we talked about, um, you got to take advantage of these opportunities. And... I'm nervous. I'm opt Brooke said in the interview, I'm optimistically cautious because I do think we have the better team. Big Jim and I talked about it earlier. If we win the turnover battle, I think we win the game. Barring any crazy special teams return, you know, if they return a kick or block a punt, um, that changes it. But if we win the turnover battle, I feel pretty good about it. If we can... Um, create turnovers that will be another huge advantage give us a short field or you know really uh any turnovers win the turnover battle that's all you got to do so i um for my score prediction before big jim gets back i'm gonna go i think this will be a close game spread six and a half um i'm gonna go georgia so Ohio State has a better defense than people think. Um, I'm going to go Georgia 34, Ohio State 24. 34-24 dogs on top. And we'll get Big Jim's score prediction here in a second. All right, doing score predictions? Yeah, I went 34-24. Okay. I'm going to go 
I'm going to go. Uh, 31 31 17. Okay. Nice. Dogs. And do you want to pick the other New Year's 6 games real quick? Yep. Okay. Orange Bowl, Tennessee Clemson, Clemson minus 4 and a half. Hmm. Because Dabo always is just such a turbo about the bowl game. Yeah. No matter what. I'm leaning that way too. Yeah, I hate to do it, but I uh I gotta go Clemson on that one. Yep. I'm going Clemson as well. Alabama K State, Alabama's by six and a half. I'm going Bama there. Yeah, me too. Um TCU, Michigan, Michigan by seven and a half. I'm going with TCU. Okay, I like it. I'm going TCU as well. I think that'll be a close game. Two Tulane, USC in the Cotton Bowl. USC is only favored by two points in this game. Mm. Caleb Williams not playing? Yeah, he is. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I'll take USC. Yeah, me too. USC, okay. Um, Then we have the Rose Bowl. Penn State and Utah. Utah is favored by two and a half. I'm going Utah. Me too. So we're all fully aligned. Yeah, fully aligned. Okay. Um, yeah, so should be a fun. I'm really excited for some of those games, but feeling like I, I, I said when you were gone, I'm I'm feeling like Brooke did. I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I like that. About this game. Or optimistically cautious. Whichever way you said it. Cautiously, you cautiously yeah. optimistic is um, the way to say it. But you could say it either way. Yeah. But I've, I'm <laughs> excited. We are going to be there. We hope to see some of you there. And we're hoping to start the new year off correctly with a dog's win, which we have been able to do, I mean, quite a few times the last couple of years. Yep. So let's keep this trend rolling. I'm excited. And um, it's winning time. We got to show everybody. we yeah, we got to show everybody that we're the number one team in the country. And for Ohio State or any team, you know, if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And currently we are the man that and we are correct. on the top. That is correct. Uh, a safe and happy new year to all of you out there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks again to Brooke Whitmire and all of our sponsors and all of our followers and listeners. Can't wait for the big game New Year's Eve. Make sure that you're in a great spot. Hopefully by then we will have some of our unofficial sponsors in our hands, some cold beverages, Sweetwater 420s, Michelob Ultras, et cetera, uh, as we get back on the mend here. Thanks for putting up with us today uh, as this is our flu game, Jimbo. Uh, But we made it through just in time. We've got to get on a work call now. We actually do work for a living. Uh, But Happy New Year to all of you and uh, a big, big Go dogs to everybody. Go dogs. Hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. And let's win this Peach Bowl. Let's do it. Thank you guys. See you.